Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. G'day and welcome. This is That's Incredible. My name's Andrew Datto, and I have a feeling this will be my favourite episode ever. You ready? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Annoy, annoy, annoy. Yes. I'm absolutely with you. If I hear that chant one more time, I'm moving to New Zealand. New Zealand's all right. It's the call of the mad Australian sports fanatic. Do you reckon Australians are sports mad? I definitely think we are. Tell me another country in the world that stops completely to run a horse race. Do you know what the most popular months in Australia are to get married? March and October. Do you know why? Because they're in between the cricket and the football seasons. We love sports and we love inventing sports. I bet you've invented a sport in your own backyard. Sheep counting is a sport in Australia. We even have tuna throwing, which I've done. Dunny racing, that's a sport. I'll tell you more about that later. If you can throw it, roll it, hide it, catch it, bounce it or punt it between four sticks... You can bet we've made a sport out of it. We're going to hear a story about someone who knows the thrill of winning a gold medal at the Olympics. Now that is achieving in sport. All the hard work, all the heartache, everything that goes along with it to reach the top. That's what we'll be talking about. It's a great story, even if your sporting dreams don't go any further than taking out first place in the egg and spoon race at the school carnival. All right. Time to toss the coin. Choose which end we want to run towards and get out there and give it a red-hot go. Let's kick off this episode with some all-star Aussie sporting facts from our all-star sporting kids. The winner of the first Sydney to Melbourne ultramarathon was the 61-year-old farmer who trained by chasing sheep around his paddocks in his gumboots. Yes! It's true, the other competitors must have had a bit of a giggle when Cliffy Young rocked up to the start line of the event in 1983. He was 61 years old, he wore tracksuit pants to protect his legs from the sun, and he didn't run as such, but he shuffled. It was the Cliffy Young shuffle, and he shuffled all day, and into the night as well. So while the other runners rested, he kept going, and that is how he won the ultramarathon from Sydney to Melbourne. 37 people went to hospital for lawn bowl-related injuries in Victoria in 2006. We've all seen lawn bowls, so how do you get injured? Well, mostly from falling, overexertion, repetitive strain from over-bowling and getting hit on the ankle by a bowl because they're hard. There is no evidence that any of the injuries came from head-high tackles. Sherelle McMahon scored the winning goal for Australia in the 1999 Netball World Cup final with only one second to go. 
It was an amazing game of netball. The Australians were six points down at three-quarter time and came back to win with literally one second to go. And what was really cool about the tournament was the local schools in Christchurch all adopted different teams from around the world. So it meant some New Zealanders were actually barracking for Australia. Walter Lindrum won so many billiards matches that they changed the rules to try to stop him. They did. It wasn't enough that their Kalgoorlie-born Lindrum lost the tip of his right finger as a three-year-old and learnt to play left-handed. Imagine how good he would have been if he was right-handed. He was so good, the King of England invited him to Buckingham Palace for an exhibition match. And now he's buried in a cemetery in Melbourne, and guess what shape his tombstone is? You got it. It's a billiard table. Aboriginal sports included a game where five strong men tried to capture a buried gum nut. The game is Bujakombang and it was played by the Noongar people of the Swan River region of Western Australia and matches lasted until the gum nut was dug up or the attacking team got too tired. The beaten team would often turn up a month later demanding a rematch. The Yalunga website run by Sport Australia has a fantastic list of sports played by Indigenous Australians. A sport that a group of mates invented in an alley near their house now has its own world championships. Wall ball. I bet you play wall ball. It was first played in a back street in the inner city suburb of Redfern. All you need to play wall ball is a wall and, you guessed it, a ball. The rules are like a combination of squash and the schoolyard favourite, handball. There are now 25 different associations in Australia and the game is played all over the world. Wheelchair racer Louise Savage was the first Paralympian to be given legend status at the Sport Australian Hall of Fame. Unable to walk due to a congenital spine condition, Louise started to learn to swim at the age of three to strengthen her upper body. She then switched to wheelchair sports after an operation to put two steel rods in her back and that meant she could no longer swim because she was too heavy. She just sank. That's not true. I made it up. But anyway, in a famous victory, she won the Boston Marathon in a photo finish after catching her rival on the finish line after 42 kilometres of racing. Athletes from all countries of the world marched together in the Olympic Games closing ceremony because a 17-year-old Melbourne boy thought it would promote peace. The smallest things can have the biggest results. John Wing wrote a letter to the President of the Organising Committee of the 1956 Melbourne Olympics suggesting that all the competitors march together as a way of forgetting about war, nationality and politics. The march was added to the program one day before the closing ceremony and has been one of the highlights of the Olympics ever since. Toilet racing is a sport in Melbourne, Australia. Not racing to a toilet, racing on a toilet. In the Winton Dunny Derby, teams of four people pull a dunny on wheels that has a jockey sitting on top of it. Teams have to stop to pick up a dunny brush, some dunny roll, and then empty a bucket of water over the length of the 200-metre course. The winning team takes home the coveted Toilet Bowl Trophy. The Socceroos' biggest fan leaps in Germany. 
Andre Kruger was 14 years old when he read about the underdogs from Australia who were trying to qualify for the 1974 World Cup finals. At the time, soccer players in Europe were full-time professionals, but the Australians all had to work at their day jobs whilst training in the evenings. Andre was enchanted that German-born socceroo Manfred Schaefer was a milkman and decided then and there to throw his support behind the team from down under. He even made his own Socceroo shirt to wear when he played soccer in the park with his mates. Yvonne Gulagong Cooley became the first mother in 66 years to win the singles title at Wimbledon. She won her first Wimbledon tennis final in 1971, then again in 1980, three years after the birth of her daughter Kelly. In between, she also won the Australian Open four years in a row. A Wiradjuri woman, Yvonne grew up in western New South Wales in the town of Borellan, where she was honoured by the construction of a giant tennis racket. Thanks, kids. Those are some incredible facts. And Cliff Young, the 61-year-old who ran from Melbourne to Sydney in his gumboots, when he won, he actually gave the money away to the other competitors because he thought they needed it more than him. And as for lawn bowls being dangerous, who knew? Respect, Grandma. Respect, Grandpa. It's time to say hello to Kate Campbell. Kate grew up in Malawi before her family moved to Brisbane and she took up swimming as a sport. She was chosen to represent Australia in her first Olympic Games at just 16 years of age, where she won two bronze medals. That was at Beijing in 2008. Since then, she's won a couple of gold medals and she's even shared the podium with her sister Bronte. It's the first time in history two sisters have won medals together in the same event. So what does it feel like to win a gold medal and hear them play our national anthem? Let's find out. I have been swimming pretty much my whole life. I can never remember learning how to swim. My mum taught me to swim, so she used to be a synchronised swimmer. So one of those artistic swimmers that kind of dance in the water. And she taught me how to swim when I was a little kid. And then I joined a swim club when I was nine years old. So I was originally born in Africa and moved to Australia when I was nine years old. And I decided to join the swim club as a way to meet people, make friends and integrate into Australian culture because what's more Australian than joining a sporting group? So that's kind of how I started and I guess I just fell in love with it. Swimming carnivals is the highlight of my childhood. I can just remember having the most fun running around with my friends. It was a chance to compete. I am quite a competitive person, so I picked a sport that I was good at. So I enjoyed swimming carnivals. And on the way home, we always got to stop in at McDonald's for an ice cream. So we have to do a lot of training. It's important to note that the amount of training that I do now is not the amount of training that I did when I was a little kid. But at the moment, I do nine swimming sessions, three gym sessions, two spin bike sessions and a Pilates session a week. So that adds up to about 30 to 35 hours of exercise. But when I was a kid, I didn't do anywhere near as much. I pretty much did as much as I enjoyed. And because I loved swimming, I was probably swimming, you know, four or five days a week 
from right when I was about nine years old. I, I just absolutely loved it. And my parents did try to get me into other sports, but I wasn't very good at them. I broke my finger playing touch football. I got a black eye from playing softball. I nearly had a nervous breakdown after doing the cross country. So they pretty much realized that if they wanted me to be fit and active, that swimming was going to be it. I did a lot of swimming as a little kid, but only just because I loved it so much. The best part of the Olympics, if you put getting to compete aside, because I do a lot of training and the reason that I train is so that I can compete. And I'm very, very lucky that I can do that. But the dining hall in the Olympic Village is by far the best part of the Olympics. It has everything you could imagine. It has food from all different cuisines. It has dessert 24-7. And it's a place where you can kind of, you just watch all the athletes come in and out. And you have to remember that all of us are in the best shape of our lives. You know, we've been training for the past four years to be in our absolute peak performance condition. But we all look so different. You know, swimmers, which generally pretty tall and, and pretty muscular, but then you have, say, the basketballers who are over two meters tall. They have to duck their heads when they go in under doors and you just see them walking through the dining hall and they're like giants kind of lumbering through. And then you have the little gymnasts who are so short and so strong. And they're so short, some of them, that even when they're sitting down in the chair, when they stand up to put their tray away, it doesn't look like their head has raised. So it looks like they're just got like a wheelie chair and they're going through the dining hall. Or you have the marathon runners who are, you know, whip it thin. They're so skinny. And you have people who have to eat a lot. So a weightlifter has to have a lot of weight and consume a lot of calories. So you see the amount of food that's on their plate versus say a boxer who has to lose weight so that they can make their weight for their fight and they'll come and they'll sit down next to you and they've just got like a couple of leafy green salads. So it's a really, really interesting place and I've spent so many hours there just people watching and then probably getting up and grabbing like a little treat or two to, to keep the energy levels up. <laughs> Winning a gold medal is a feeling that you can't really describe. In some ways, it, it lives up to the hype, but then it's over really quickly. So we train crazy amounts of hours to prepare for one single moment. And my race lasts, you know, less than a minute, really. And then once it's finished and you look at the result and it's what you've been working for, there's this moment of joy and elation and relief and celebration. But then you also think, oh, is this it? Is this all I've been working for? And I think it's interesting because the athletes who have that reaction in the, oh, is this it? Like, this is wonderful and it's what I've worked towards. But I still feel like I want to keep going are often the athletes who have longer careers, who continue to swim on even after they have achieved their goals. And everyone wants to win an Olympic gold medal, but this will be my fourth Olympics. So I've been doing it a really long time. And a lot of the people who I speak to who have been doing it for a long time, 
they keep wanting to get better. So even though they've achieved this lifelong dream of theirs, they think, oh, maybe I can be a little bit better. And that's kind of what keeps you going. But standing on top of the podium with the national anthem blaring is, yeah, it's definitely one of the highlights of my life. If I was to give any advice to any young athletes out there, anyone who is dreaming of being an Olympian, I would say make sure that you enjoy it and make sure it's something that you really want to do. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of early mornings, but I still love swimming. That's ultimately why I'm still doing it. If I could give advice to the parents out there who maybe have a young athlete on their hand, it's to support them in their dream. I was very, very lucky to have incredibly supportive parents, not pushy parents, but supportive parents. So when I said at nine years old, mum, dad, I want to go to the Olympics one day, not once did they say to me, do you know how hard that is? Do you know how few people actually go to the Olympics? Maybe you should pick something else. They allowed me to dream and they said, all right, this is your dream and we will support you in any way we can. And that meant driving me to training at 5 a.m. in the morning during high school. I set my alarm and I got out of bed and got myself ready and then I would go wake up mum and she would drive me to training. If my alarm didn't go off, mum got to sleep in as well. My dad would come and sit next to swimming carnivals all, all weekend and he worked really hard. Uh, in fact, my parents took jobs as cleaners of the swimming pool to help pay for my physio bills and, and things like that. So they were very clear that this was my dream and that I could stop at any time, but they were going to support me as, as much as they could. For the young aspiring athletes, make sure you enjoy it. Find a good group of people to do it with. And for the parents of young aspiring athletes, make sure it's their dream and that you're supporting them. It's not your dream that you're pushing on them. Time to go to the action replay. We're going to play a little game that'll take us over the highlights of today's tribute to Australian sport. It's called Higher or Lower. I'm going to quote a number that relates to one of our cool facts that's slightly wrong. If you think the correct answer is higher, sing out, higher! If you think the correct answer is lower, just call out, lower. Got it? We can run it like a competition. This could be a new Australian sport. The That's Incredible quiz. Let's go. Here's the first question. When Cliff Young won his first Sydney to Melbourne running race, he was 55 years of age. Higher or lower? Higher is correct. He was 61. Hey, that gets him a pensioner card. He could have got a $2.50 fare on the train. Here's our next question. Sherelle McMahon scored the winning goal for Australia in the 1999 Netball World Cup final. There was only five seconds left in the game. Is the real figure higher or lower? Yes, it's lower. She scored with one second left on the clock. How different would the result have been if she'd stopped to wave to her mum in the crowd before taking the final shot? How are you going? Have you got two right? What about this one? 
In 2006, 27 people went to hospital with lawn bowls-related injuries in the state of Victoria. Higher or lower? Definitely higher. It was 37 people injured while playing lawn bowls in Victoria. Big shout-out to Beryl, Marley, Mavis, Tomo, Deco. The next question, uh, we'll try and get ourselves out of the toilet with the next question. The Dunny Derby. Do I love saying Dunny? Yes, I do. The Dunny Derby in Winton is raced over a 500-metre course. Higher or lower? Yeah, lower. Imagine racing a Dunny for half a kilometre. The Dunny Derby is run over a 200-metre course, and the winner of that event is number one. Number one at number ones, and number two is second. This is a great question. When Yvonne Goolagong Corley won Wimbledon in 1980, she was the first mother to win the event in 36 years. Higher or lower? It's higher. It had been 66 years since her mother had won Wimbledon. That lady was Dorothy Chambers, and it was in 1914, which shows you just how hard it is to win Wimbledon while you're being pestered every few minutes by someone saying, Mom, can you tie my shoelace? Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, win! Great quiz. Love the format, higher and lower. How did you go? Did you get a winner in the car? I hope so. You know what surprised me most from what we learnt today? It's the wall ball story. A bunch of mates with some time to spare on their hands, with nothing more than a bouncy ball and a back alley, and all of a sudden they've invented a game that's literally played around the world. That is incredible. Don't you think that's how most sports got invented? A bit of fun, a bit of ingenuity, and then some rules, and then all of a sudden, there you are. So that's our homework for today. Can you invent a sport? What will you need? Will you need a ball? Would you use a gum nut like we heard about earlier? Could I spy be a sport? Or corners? Or stuffing marshmallows in your mouth? Or who can stay quiet the longest? Ooh, Parents are nodding at that one. Let us know what the sport is, what the rules are, and how to play, and we'll play it around here in the That's Incredible office. Hey, thanks for listening today. It's been really fun. Sport's great. You meet people, you get to play games. We'll see you next time for the rematch of That's Incredible. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.